Welcome back to season four of the Disciples Made podcast, six trends that are the least likely yet most necessary trends we must see in disciple making over the next 10 years. My name is Brian Phipps, founder of Disciples Made, and I'll be your host for this season. The topics we are discussing this season are critical, which is why we're asking some of the world's most effective disciple makers to join in to the conversation. And it's our hope that you're going to do something more than just listen to these podcasts. We hope you will hear them and then pray and discern what next steps you and your team, if you have one, need to take in order to help bring these trends into a reality. With that said, let's get ready for the next conversation. Our sixth and final shift in this season of the Disciples Made podcast is empowering leadership becoming greater than growing in membership. Empowering leadership becoming greater than simply growing in membership. Growing in membership is entirely focused on building attendance in our gatherings. The idea is that more is better. In this view, we see people kind of as customers that need our product more than future mission personnel that we need to steward. Let me say that again. When we focus on growing in membership, we're seeing people as customers that need our product more than we're seeing them as future mission personnel to steward and develop. And what this does, it, it impairs the development capacity of those participants and therefore squelches the kingdom potential that heaven has poured into them with the spiritual gifts, the potential for fruit, the potential for influence. And of course, this focus ignores the model of Jesus who empowered his disciples and then went back to the father and sent his spirit to work in them to change the world. And of course, it ignores the mandate of Paul in Ephesians chapter four to equip God's people for works of service. Empowering leadership is just simply leveraging your organization's gathering capacity to identify and empower 100% of those attenders. It's the posture of choosing to make them interdependent and on mission with you, not dependent upon you for that mission. It's a huge shift, and I cannot wait to hear how this conversation rolls out with these amazing leaders. Let's tune in. Well, it is great to be back in the chat room with uh, some amazing, amazing people. You'll probably remember Carrie Latticer and Kevin Harris, uh, Shalom Lydic, and Rob Wegner. We are here to discuss the final session. It's hard to believe this is the last show of the season. So I want to thank all of you for participating in multiple of these uh, deals. We're talking about the six least likely but most necessary trends that we need to see in disciple making. And this last one, uh, just in our little kind of gathering right before we started to record this thing, I shared that this one's near and dear to my heart because I've seen what happens in the lives of people and communities when we get this one right. Today's most necessary trend is empowering leadership, becoming greater than growing in membership. We've already um, kind of talked through our definition, so let me just start to ask. And Pastor Shalom Lydic, we'd love to start with you. Is this a top 10 most necessary and 
why or why not? Um, I'm so glad to be with you again uh, to have these conversations because I do believe that it's necessary. Empowering leadership, yes, for sure. I do believe that it should be among the top 10. Um, I guess my take on it is a little bit, not just empowering leadership, but empowering the people of God, right? That we are ones sent by God, that we are a mission for the kingdom of God. And there is no other way um, for us to move in the world like Jesus did without that unleashing happening. Um, and so not just about building our own kingdom and our own name and our own fame, but about you know joining God in what he's already doing in building his own kingdom. So yes, definitely, I do believe that it, it is among the top 10 of what needs, um, what needs to happen empowering um, the priesthood of all believers to go and just be disciples of Jesus, go and spread the good news of Jesus. Yes. Excellent. Rob, how about you? Is this, is this top 10? Uh, why or why not? 100%. Uh, the last reformation put the Bible back into people's hands and I think we're in the middle of another reformation that's putting mission and ministry back into the people's hands. And there's been a, a hidden caste system in the church um, that I've been a part of for most of my adult life. And part of that is just human nature. We want a priest. We want a king. We want someone between us and God. Um, but the church has also facilitated that caste system where there's a few who are determining vision, ministry, mission for the many. And then they're given these identities. Like we want you to attend. We want you to be an attender. And then we want you to be an inviter. And then we want you to be a volunteer. And we want you to be a member and then especially a giver. And it'd be awesome if you were a tither. <laughs> and those are all good things that can be a part of formation in someone's life. But you can do all those things and never actually become a disciple maker or, or discover your unique personal calling. And we've been domesticate, domesticating God's people. And I do think there's a genuine spirit of repentance that's growing among many, many church leaders who are saying, that isn't really what I wanted to do. It was the system I stepped into. So I think there is a revival that's happening. It's not like revivals in the past where it's like, we're filling, you know, thousands of people into, it's actually more a lot at a very um, almost invisible level, like little circles of people are saying, God, we're so desperate. And we know that structure is crumbling and we want to get back to equipping all of God's people for the works that you've designed for them. So I, I don't know, man, after the gospel itself and honoring that, this might be number two in my book. It's what I'm giving my entire life too. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is so important. All right. Carrie, I know you got thoughts on this. What do you add to this part of the conversation? Is it top 10? Why or why not? I think top 10 for sure. I mean, we're feeling the pain. We're feeling the consequences of ways that we have 
prioritize the gifts of the spirit instead of the fruit of the spirit. We're feeling the ways that we have hindered this mission of the gospel instead of empowered the mission of the gospel in our people. And so this shift for us to unleash the redemptive potential of the gospel, this shift has to happen. Um, it may not make it to the top 10 list of some leaders and pastors and disciples, right? Because this is a, a paradigm shift that will require a whole different sort of operating system for our church. And I, I'm all about, you know, I do coaching and consulting. I'm all about change management and bringing change wisely, but this is such a significant shift for how we look at the role of anybody who is a disciple or a pastor or a leader, um, as well as the role and function of the church. So it's enormous. And I think we're feeling the weight of how necessary it is. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Kevin, the ministry you lead is called radical mentoring. Does radical mentoring have anything to do with empowering leadership? Do you see this as top 10? Why or why not? Yeah, we, I mean, we fully believe that in empowering leadership is in critical, both uh, I mean, I think to the local church, but to families, and I just think there's a there's a huge wave that kind of comes behind it. I also think coming out of this particular season where so many people, my family included, got out of the habit of going into church, and we totally consumed it. I mean, I can go to any church across the country seven days a week from my phone and listen in, and what we've been craving as a family is we want to be back in a place, but we don't want to be back in a place where we're just consuming content. We want to be back into a community that is, is outward looking and wants to go out and be empowered and be the change agents and not just be, we want to be disciples, but we also want to be disciple makers. And I think we're, we're, I think a lot of people in our community have just grown weary of the consumer mentality, especially in light of consuming from your couch and not being in community with other believers. And I just think it's it's really, really important. It's another one of these trends, Brian, that I would say I hadn't thought about until um, you invited me to be a part of these conversations. And it, it, but it's 100% a big deal. Love it. Love it. Thank you for that encouragement. Uh, Shalom said something earlier that's making me um, toss an additional question in before we go to the least likely component. And the least likely component's always been my favorite because then we get to troubleshoot and pick at and poke at. But before we get there, there might be um, uh, a helpful improvement uh, needed to the language that I'm using. I'm, I said empowering leadership, becoming grower, greater than growing a membership. I didn't hear any concern about growing a membership that kind of has its own package and understanding, but seems like there was a little wince with empowering leadership. Is there any of you, not just Shalom, uh, but would provide some alternative, better, more helpful language? Do we need to change our trend before we uh, go into uh, the next phase? Uh, who wants, Carrie, you look like you're, you got something on your mind with that. Have we discovered I never don't have a thought? It doesn't mean it's right. So I don't, I don't want to assume to communicate what's in your heart, Brian, or what we're trying to accomplish here. But I actually have that same sort of check for a minute. It hooked me because one, I think we have really elevated leadership in the church. I think we need to flip the subversive nature of leadership in the kingdom. We've taken on a lot of, and I think this is well-intentioned. I come out of Willow Creek, right? Like we've taken business practices and leadership practices. And so I think we have elevated leadership as a gift. So I may frame this as 
you know, empowering the priesthood of all believers, which is talks about in the New Testament, equipping the saints to do the good work and kind of our role to be stewards and unleash, not to be on the top leading with authority and hierarchy and structures like that. So I, I wonder if there's just baggage around how we talk about some of these words that it's really helpful to name. Yes, yes, yes. I totally agree with what you just said, Carrie. Um, because my struggle, my dad is a pastor. Um, he's a missionary pastor in Belize. And so I, I'm a pastor kid. My husband is a pastor kid. So I was born and raised in the church and experienced the, the whole thing within the church, not just in, um, in a denomination that was primarily African, and, but now in a denomination that is primarily Caucasian and in, in spaces that was not denomination. And what I've noticed um, within leadership and church leadership is this issue of power. Um, we look at the world systems and we talk about, I mean, for me particularly, I see how power is, you know, we're constantly gasping for power. We want more of it because somehow it elevates us and puts us in this place of hey, I'm on here talking, right? So somebody thought I had something to say, right? And that's, that's an element of power, right? And we all sort of want this thing. However, I see that within the church, there is the exact same thing. There is the same hunger for power. Um, it's almost as if we collectively are at the pinnacle with Jesus and the, you know, and the tempter said to him, do this and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And we're still feeling this thing within the church. Uh, but for us, we sort of slapped the Bible on it and made it a holy thing. However, it's, it's not holy. There's nothing attractive about it. Um, and so when I hear empowering leadership, I'm just kind of like, gosh, that's just like another power thing. Uh, because within my context right now, um, how I do leadership is I, I empower everybody. And I'm like, you're called, you're sent by God. Why don't you go do that in your neighborhood? Like go be the witness, go love on your neighbor baby seat for them, go clean their yard, you know, because this is what Christ is calling us to do. Now, for me, <laughs> one or two things happen where lots majority of the leaders I started out with are leading house churches. They're doing their own thing. And I'm having to start all over again. I'm like, you're called by God. You can do this stuff. Let's go do it. It's not like there's no magic anointing that fell on me specifically that said, oh, Shalom is the only one that, um, that can lay hands on the sick and have them recover. There is nothing that says only me can love, only me can give you this push. No, the magic power rested on you too on the day of Pentecost when you received Christ, you got the same magic beings that I did. And so you can do the exact same thing. So go do that. I will say, though, I will say that when you have 
when you have disciples, when you're raising disciples that are not spiritually or emotionally healthy, then that just, you just opened up a whole other can of beans, right? And, and so both of them growing spiritually and growing emotionally have to go hand in hand. I'll shut up now because I get passionate about that stuff. We got magic beans. We got other beans. We got lots of beans. Rob, tell us about the beans. (laughs) I like baked beans personally. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. Uh, Barbecue baked beans. It is Kansas city here. Um, I just, uh, Shalom's example is so inspiring. Um, the word leader, I think, only appears in the New Testament, I think, three times. Uh, but the word servant appears over and over and over again. And uh, I agree with you. I think when we use the word leader, we're, we're bringing in with it a paradigm that's Babylonian. And we're not often questioning the systems and the values behind it. And that kind of Babylonian power it's about, it's like a closed system. There's a sense that it, it's limited and I have to try to store up as much of it as I can. Um, it's guarded and it's sort of, it only downloads. Um, we're always trying to capture it. And it's amazing how often that kind of Babylonian power is just embraced. Like, no, that's how the church actually is supposed to work, you know, and what you described is very different. It's the new power of the Holy Spirit, where it's like, no, this is current. It downloads and uploads for everybody. It's participatory. It's peer-driven. There literally isn't. There's influence that's different. Like, you do have spiritual mothers and fathers, and there are spiritual infants, so influence isn't the same, but it's it's not a strict hierarchy, and it's not positional and it just distributes the goal is like for this thing to go like electricity into everybody just let it surge and we actually gain influence by growing others capacities and that's for me this whole thing goes back to fundamentally it's about disciple making because leadership is just the fruit of making disciples like if i am a disciple and i make a disciple i've become a leader without even knowing it and it's basically unnecessary to even use the title leader and I think it's the reason the Bible doesn't use it very often because it pulls us back into the Babylonian mindset and system. So thank you for embodying that in such a beautiful way. I just wanted to make commentary on your story because it's so awesome. <laughs> and I think that is what the Lord is. That's what this new revival is about. It's the restoration of what you're living and seeing that multiply. And it is, and it is beautiful. And um, I think it's, uh, it's interesting for me because I come from the opposite side. I come from um, a dad who probably uh, was scared to leverage any influence. So what was modeled for me was a more passive individual that I knew had more strength. And uh, so I was in a situation as a leader in a church, as a as a employee, let's just say an employee of a church, pastor of a church. And I had the elders around me going, you have gifts, use them, lead. And there was no confidence to do so because I hadn't developed a competence to do so. And uh, apart from these people loving me enough to rail me and make me feel uncomfortable and start to tap in and develop gifts that I 
even if people told me I had them, I didn't want to know that I had them because I, because I didn't want to risk whatever was <laughs> at risk to try to exert them. And so I hope uh, all the listeners are catching uh, the, this idea that any of that abusive power mongering thing uh, is not at all what we advocate here. That's the reason I wanted to ask the question about changing because I use language like that and I, I see it of incredible value because I think the church has an amazing uh, reservoir of power. It's like there's an entire, uh, what's Niagara Falls of power waiting that nobody's tapping because we're just saying good member, good member sit there, you know, and we're not inviting that power in. So I use that language freely, but I should probably stop using it quite as freely and speak out of the bigger story than just my own. Uh, so I just wanted you that everybody to kind of catch that that's the heart where this is coming from. Kevin, haven't I given you a shot to speak into this? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Rob and Shalom's perspective. I, I, I also would say as a leader, um, what I, I kind of hear the, the heart behind what you're saying too, Brian, is you're empowering leaders to understand that it is okay to, to, to step into kind of the mess of the people around them and help the people around them who may not see themselves as smart enough. They haven't read enough. You know, there's, there's all these hangups we have. I even see it when I'm, we're trying to encourage people to mentor. It's like, well, I haven't read enough and I don't have enough time. And it's these layers of excuses. And it's when the leader is empowered to kind of drop down into those environments and help lift up the membership. I think so. There's two sides of it, which I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, as I'm talking, I'm not sure I'm making any sense, but there's a, there is a, the tension around the word leader of, gosh, we want to get away from that language, but you also need to take the leader in that position and empower them to know that get out of the, you know, the green room, get, get out from behind the, the pulpit and step down into the mess of the people that God's put in front of you to serve. And you're empowered as the leader to go do that because the only way you're going to empower your people is if you step into those kind of messy places. And so I sort of see both sides of so I just want you to know, I don't think you name this the wrong thing, Brian. I think you've done a great job. I think empowering leadership is is a it's an interest. What you've done is you've created really great conversation around around a topic, which I think is maybe not what you thought coming into it, but I think this is what you're getting is some you've created some angst that's caused great discussion. Yeah, it's it's perfect context for the rest of the conversation and where we're going. So let me do this. We'll call an audible right here. I'm going to change the title of this from the rest of this time on to uh, empowering servant influencers. How's that? Because that's the words we use here at Disciples Made anyway. We want to help people optimize character and calling and help people move from being passive to just powerful spiritual servant influencers. Uh, so Let's if now that that's it, that's the trend. We want to see the trend become we see every person in our congregation as potential waiting to be tapped for the kingdom because God's put gifts in that person, God's put dreams in that person, God's put pain in that person and created a story in that person. They can either be stewarded 
wisely to help them live fully alive, or they could just be members. Why will this, is this a least likely trend? Let's put it this way, and I'll go back to you, Carrie. Is this a least likely trend, and why or why not? I hope it's not least likely, but I certainly could name the challenges. And I always want to kind of get to the thread, right? Like the what we're pulling on here. And there is something about our current paradigms in the church, maybe broadly, both our scorecard and our models are part of that. And I even think the mission of what it is we're actually trying to do here, right? We have, there's been drift away from what the mission of God's people was in the Old Testament, what the mission of God's, you know, early church was, what the purpose of that was. So least likely and less, I mean, I believe what Rob is saying here, that there's renewal coming. I know there are people wrestling with this unless we can engage a lot of courage to flip some of our current systems on our head. I think COVID gives us this invitation in this moment, right? Let's be ruthlessly honest about the things that are not working, the things that are not producing, what all of us would say is actually the purpose of why we exist. So we need, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same result. Like we have to be honest about the fruit of our discipleship in this season. And then this is a huge part of reimagining it and reestablishing, like this changes your scorecard, right? Am I supposed to gather as many people in this building as I can or send out as many people as I can? Because what I count and what I celebrate is what's going to be repeated. And so this is like, this is a leadership oriented conversation. I like that. So I like how you framed it. And I like how you said servant influence, because I want to release everybody in my church, not just the people with leadership gifts, right? Everyone has this calling to go and be and love our neighbors as ourselves. So uh, least likely if we don't have a massive overhaul. How about that? I like it. Rob, going to take this uh, to you and ask, you know, I know you're working very hard. You're working in a different type of environment with micro churches. Is this do you have a different perspective on whether this is least likely or not, or do you share the same perspective of Carrie? I do. Um, I think there's millions of God's people uh, that know they're made for more, and they're just waiting for an invite and someone who's willing to invest and do the long, kind of slow work of um, equipping and coaching and the thing about it is um every single one of us you know we we're intimidated by our own you know brokenness you know and our own um foibles and wounds and uh i think just like in the early days where jesus had to look at you know his 12 guys and make a personal invitation. I think it, it says that's where it starts. You know, it's, a, it's someone who's willing to make that kind of personal invite to someone. So for us, you know, it's, it's primarily people we call missionaries and then microchurch leaders and missionaries are just ordinary people who are saying, I'm willing, I want to join Jesus in his mission in the context that I live in or play in or work in. And I don't know what I'm doing. And I know I'm, I'm totally jacked up, um, but I, I want this, you know, and then um, we invite them on what we call this journey, the missionary pathway, you know, and we'll walk with you. And we don't have a timeline where you have to be, 
some quote unquote success, you know, or month three or what it, we don't know what your timeline is. We just know we're going to walk with you. And, and we've seen so many ordinary people become disciple makers. And then what comes out of that is micro churches. And that's the first time we use the word leader. So I, I guess I need to publicly repent. We actually do the use the word leader. <laughs> um, because we don't want to use the word pastor because there's so much um, baggage with that. Um, so when we see a new extended spiritual family emerge from disciple making out in the harvest and they start living regular rhythms of worship, community, mission, um, they they become a microchurch leader. You know, it's more like recognizing what's already happened. They're basically living an elder-like lifestyle. Um, so I do think there's just so many people waiting for that invitation. You know, it goes back to the whole, our deepest desires are for intimacy and influence. And, uh, and those are all, they're always there waiting to be met in a way that is actually beautiful and pure and from heaven instead of the substitutes. Yeah. One of the big things that we hold here at Disciples Made is that kind of creation mandate uh, when uh, Adam and Eve were first created, they were created to be fruitful, multiply and have dominion. That's where the intimacy and influence comes from. And yeah, you can't take power out of the equation because we were actually made to do it. We were just made to leverage that power to serve God. And he said to do that by serving others and bringing his beauty and order and justice to the world. Um, so uh, yeah, it's like channel that stuff in the right direction. And Rob, to your point, not only are there thousands and thousands and thousands out there ready to do that, they're ready to make some inordinate sacrifices to walk into it. That's what we've seen with well over 5,000 people in Disciples Made. They're like, I was just waiting for somebody to I, level me up. I just didn't know it was possible. I'm told it can happen all the time, but I haven't known how that works. So haven't had a chance to hear from Shalom. So Shalom, we'll turn it to you. Is this a least likely trend? Why or why not? I don't believe that it's least likely, at least for my generation, right? Um because I believe that we are all searching for a purpose. You know, we want to know, like, why am I even here? Um, when I was 27, no, 26, I, I started wrestling with the idea of like, like, are you even real? God, like, what, like, what is this? And it was just like a culmination of you know, my struggles in faith and all of that. But 26, I had this huge crisis where I was like, well, you can't, like, I don't see evidence of your realness. Like, why, like, what's the point of all of this, right? And, um, and so I tried Buddhism, I tried Hinduism, I tried Muslim, I tried Wicca. There's like a whole bunch of religion that I was like, okay, um, I gotta see, like maybe purpose is in one of them. Um, at the end of the day, I was just burst out of me in frustration. I'm like, God, if you're real, like prove it. Like, I need you to prove it. Like, why am I even here? Uh, because ultimately none of those other religions answered my question for purpose, like it, it just didn't, it didn't 
answer it. And so God just, it was just out of that frustration that God started leading me in a new direction where I finally encountered him. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I guess, I guess there's a thing here. And so I believe that for my generation, um, we want to have a reason, like what is the reason why, right? And, and so my life is given to Christ because he gave me a purpose, right? There is a purpose to it. Uh, without purpose, I wouldn't do my job. Like I'm not one that just does a job for the sake of doing the job. I would just quit it, <laughs> right? And so um, I do my job for a purpose. I'm in ministry for a purpose. Um, and so because we are made for purpose, um, I believe that people just want to know that God prepared this work specifically for you before you were made, right? There is something that God has specifically for you. And my, um, my experience in my interaction with people is that once they discover that there is something uniquely prepared for them by God, like the creator of everything took the time in time to like think about you and say, you know what, for you, um, for you, destiny, this is what's best for you. This is what I've made you for. When people discover that, my experience is like they will do anything to like live into that specific purpose. So least likely, I don't know how least likely it is because I'm living um, the likelihood of it in my own life and in the life of those people around me. So yeah, just the invitation that let's find out what it is that God made specifically for you, not generic, right? But just for you uniquely. Yeah, that masterpiece mission. Mm -hmm. um, what I love is I didn't expect anybody to say, no, this isn't a least likely in any of these. So this is beautiful. This is actually a lot of fun. But what I love is the reason that you and Rob are both giving for why it's not a least likely. And it's because there's going to, there's a popular demand swelling up amongst God's people that will, will kind of force the hand of church leaders, which is going to create its own crisis, I think. Because uh, in that, I've never even considered that until this very moment. Uh, and I'm saying it out loud on this podcast, hoping that more than five people will listen to it, because if there is that demand, um, that forces the paradigm into play. That's pretty cool. Carrie, what are you thinking? And then we'll go to Kevin. Well, I just think you're exactly right. It already has. It is forcing the hand. Post-COVID, the number of people who have returned to church, who have found the purpose or what they received wasn't actually the mission of God. Or, you know, we talk about often like what you win people with is what you win them to. And do we want to become and see or go and be? And so I think this last 18 months of disruption has caused people to be like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And some people have felt abandoned by their church because the product changed. And some people have just left wanting because they had a broader view of what the church really is. So to your point, yes, it is going to demand it. And it is, we're in that right now. And this disruption is an invitation to acknowledge it and change or to die a slow, painful death as I see it. Yeah, that's clear. 
Kevin, uh, you haven't had a chance to answer this. Is this a leak li least likely? Why or why not? And now you, it's kind of split, man. You get to pick and break the tie. <laughs> oh gosh, um, I mean, I, I just think about our own, my own family perspective too. I always go back to the stuff that's close. All the, you know, all the research you guys are in churches every week. You know, the research says your average attender is there one point, whatever, three times a month. Um, and so I do believe that if that empowering people, helping them, I just wrote something about this that I'm working on today in between all my podcast interviews, Brian, um, that find, defining purpose is a game changer. Because if, if people can understand their purpose, I need to be able to um, activate that purpose when I'm at a baseball field on a Sunday morning watching a group of 15 year olds play baseball all day long when I can't be in church. Because now if I'm, if I know the value and the importance of activating my faith, I can put kind of words and definition around my purpose. And I know lifestyle choice or not that chasing a kid to the baseball field is where I'm going to have to spend some of these Sundays. I better be prepared to live and lead and love others like Jesus in all those other places. That's why I think the marketplace has got this, will be a huge movement of ministry is going to have to happen in the market. There's just all these other areas that before it was like, okay, at, at our, in our building on Sundays, we're going to teach this in room 101. Well, guess what? A lot of people can't make it to room 101 anymore on a Sunday morning. They better be out and about in their neighborhoods and in their communities and on their fields and in their workplaces, living and loving people like Jesus, because they can't rely on that Sunday experience anymore. They've got to go out and, and, and be the hands and feet in the world, which totally didn't answer your question, but. No, it did. You, you just, you just decide if, which way my vote went. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I mean, I did not. Uh, so I don't think it matters whether we think it's least likely or not. I love this conversation because mm -hmm. it is forcing uh, that conversation into into being. So, um, what is your ministry doing right now to push this on through? Carrie, gonna go to you here in just a second. But what is it? What's what are the intentional things that we're doing? to continue to add fire, oxygen to the fire that is this growing demand. What are you guys doing up in Chicagoland? Yeah, I would say I have probably what might be considered a long view on this one. Like we are doing some things in the immediate. We're trying some different expressions of the church that are lay led, you know, micro church expressions of community where some of our values can still be embodied, but people are actually empowered to go lead communities where they live, work and play. And that's a significant initiative on that. We do have a, a large ship to turn, if you will, in terms of some of these changes. And so even at the very basic level, we are reforming the invitation for people right now. And we have just said over the last year in particular, let's look at some of the way, because we saw the fruits of our discipleship, right? I mean, Kevin talked about equipping people to live and love and lead where they are. I think all of us would say a message on the weekend doesn't 
do that from a developmental standpoint, right? Small groups can could help people start to experience what that looks like, but we are just trying to say, what is it we have invited people to? And I come out of the growth church movement and spent 10 years at Willow Creek and can understand the well-intentioned decision to try to elevate salvation and get people to cross a line of faith, right? For the purpose of being evangelistic and we'll do anything short of sin to reach people far from God, but we have missed a full invitation to a fully orbed gospel and discipleship in that. And so that is what I see is the gap here is the invitation sold short, what the fruit of the gospel should actually be. And so all of these Little Jesuses are walking around out there, but they're not exactly embodying and living out the ways of Jesus for the watching world to see. So we are trying to redefine the invitation where I am right now, the way that we talk about the gospel versus salvation. We're removing that cross the line of faith language. We're talking about King Jesus and his kingdom community and how the calling to follow Jesus is your active participation in the redemptive and restorative work of the kingdom in the world. It's not like a set of beliefs you need to agree to, but there's practices, you know, in a way that we want to embody. So some of my long game is in that, that we, before we can um, take huge steps in this, we have to reimagine and redefine what the invitation is for people. And we're being very intentional and lots of different spaces to do that. That's excellent. To summarize that, I think if I can do it well, is we're changing the way we're inviting and we're playing for a long game instead of a quick uh, thing, which I think is absolutely critical. Rob, I need you to leave your uh, disciples made hat off to the extent that you can as you answer this, because I provide that in some of the, the post comments as well. There's a lot of overlap between Disciples Made and uh, the micro, uh, Kansas City Underground. But uh, from an underground hat on perspective, what are you guys doing to help push this trend into existence? I do want to underscore uh, what Carrie said. It has to start with um, a holistic understanding of the gospel. That's the only nuclear engine that can empower this thing. And evangelism and discipleship aren't two different activities. They're two sides of the same coin. It's the gospel that the uh, good newsing of ourselves that energizes disciple making. Um, for us, we talk about the saved souls gospel versus the saved holes gospel, W-H-O-L-E. And we talk about everybody needs the whole story. You need the whole expression and the whole life. And... Um, and that has to be the starting point. Otherwise, it will become some kind of religious moralism. And then for us, um, everything is designed in the underground around um, this vision in, in Ephesians 1 of gospel saturation. Then Ephesians 2, the way that happens is mobilizing all of God's people into their masterpiece mission to make disciples. Ephesians 3, um, it's about also personal formation, being, be, being filled with the fullness of God has to come out of the overflow of my life. And then Ephesians 4 is um, we have to have five voices equipping in harmony um, all of God's people for those works of service. Ephesians 5 is then how do we live actually in these microchurches? How do we have households of faith? And Ephesians 6 is we're in a world at war and uh, we have to be equipped for warfare. And so like one of the practical ways um, one example of how we do that, um, we don't. there are no weekend services in the Kansas City Underground, but we do have a, uh, what we call an equipping gathering. And the equipping gathering is for all the missionary 
leaders and all the microchurch leaders. And um, just to give you a flavor, typically for a weekend service, the focus is everyone. We're trying to reach as many people as we can. An equipping gathering is targeted for the missionaries and the microchurch leaders. The goal typically in a weekend service is inspire and teach. An equipping gathering, it's actually training and equipping. Uh, equipping gatherings, it's done in circles. Weekend services are typically in rows. Uh, equipping gathering is source of the stories. Um, in a weekend service, it's typically the stage or screen for an equipping gathering. It's always the people. Um, the means in an equipping gathering, it's discovery-based. Uh, weekend services are typically lecture-based. Um, we have a high level of account, medium to high level of accountability in an equipping gathering, like you write an I will statement, you're gonna report in on your progress the next week. Typically weekend services, it's none to low. Um, our whole way of engagement and equipping gathering is you practice something and then debrief. Uh, weekend services to typically listen and sing. So I'm not sharing that to disparage weekend services. There's a place for that and in, in the people of God and their journey together. Um, but the equipping gathering has really been a very powerful um, way to set a different culture. And um, and that's something that it really symbolically embodies, I think, what we're talking about here. Yeah, in summary, if you didn't hear that, how do we, uh, how do we emphasize the trend uh, away from membership to empowering uh, servant influencer uh, stuff is we kill the membership. <laughs> there is nothing to join uh, as a member. Uh, you have to be an influencer to participate. That's just wanted to throw the fun in on that one. Uh, and the other thing I saw, heard you say, Rob, was very similar to what Carrie said. We're changing the invitation, and your invitation really is a, the Ephesians one vision. We got to fill the whole world in every way. How do we do that? Well, it takes everybody to live into that. And so I love that how that invitation or the reframing of the job at hand isn't to grow a bigger church, it's to fill a world. Uh, Shalom, uh, what, what about you? What are you guys doing out at Res Life? In Res Life, um, when we originally started, um, the vision was to live a counter narrative, a counter narrative to what the world is doing, what the culture is doing, but live, tell a different story with our lives, reimagine or return back to the story, to what it was, to what it is really. Uh, so building a counter narrative to what is going on out in the world and how we do that really, it's <laughs> by, inviting them to the whole gospel, right? This is what the Bible says. Let's read the Bible together and, um, and, and think about it and talk about it together and then live it out because we are following Jesus. Um, you're not following Shalom because Shalom has issues. Um, you're not following anyone. You're following Jesus, right? So let's figure this thing out together. Uh, so creating counter narrative looks like for us um, gathering together for community dinners, uh, hanging out at the splash pad, the guys having barbecues, um, 
whatever, the kids playing volleyball at the park and we're just talking and just engaging, taking chairs and hanging out at the homeless communities, at the homeless parks. That's just for us what it looks like. What would Jesus do? Then let's go do that. Um, is it's it's kind of what we're doing. There is no big thing for us. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, which I use to, I guess, vision cast to move people is the story of the mustard seed where Jesus um, was talking to his disciples and he said, um, like, what is the kingdom of God like, right? It's the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed that when you plant it into the ground, it grows, it's the smallest seed, it grows and it becomes a giant tree and the birds come and take shelter underneath it. And um, I'm like, so that's what we are. We're this mustard seed and we're going to let ourselves be planted in the ground so that, you know, the world, our communities can come and take shelter in the tree that is God himself, because we're not trying to grow ourselves. Um, so that's, that's sort of, that's, that's kind of what it is like. So there's a lot of dying to self because what is planted must die. Um, and then there is a lot of crying. There's a lot of coming to Jesus meetings. There's a lot of, okay, let's leave this at the foot of the cross because ultimately what we want is the kingdom of God, not your kingdom. So for us, it's just, it's really messy. <laughs> it's so messy um, and stressful and tiring. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's incredibly rewarding to know that um, when one comes into the kingdom of God, that God himself gets off his throne and like literally dances. And my excitement is that like, that God is doing that. And I make a fool of myself all the time by getting up and dancing too, because I'm like, this is what God is doing. So we might as well do it with him. And so that excitement is, is, um, is, is, is what's worth it. And then I encourage people, like, I'm like, when this happens, this is what God is doing. And so let's make God dance some more. And so it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's messy, it's hard, but it is totally, yeah, that's what it means to be a daughter of God. I want God to be happy and dance. So yeah, that's what we do. Love it. Kevin, we've got about three minutes left. What would you uh, say here? What is Radical Mentoring doing to try to push this trend into reality? Yes, um, I really would like to see Chillum dance. My uh, kids hate it when I do this. Yeah. I'm African, okay? So I can dance. I know. I would like for Shalom to teach me how to dance. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just Perfect. put that in here, please. There you go. All that. Um, I would just say um, we partner with churches, and the churches that we, that I, I hate to say are successful, and the ones we partner with are the ones who do have this full view of, of what the gospel should look like in action in communities. And so I'll, I'll drift and talk more about men because that's where we spent a ton of our conversation. But um, 
we spent most of our early years in ministry was focusing on men. And oftentimes with men, there was just this sort of, you know, church isn't for me, church doesn't feel right. It's this, you know, I'm not smart enough mentality. And so as we begin to work with churches as a part of their discipleship process, we want to get to a place where you identify those that want to take the next step. Gary talked about it. It's not Sunday mornings. It's maybe not small groups, but there's going to be a group that want to go one step further. And if they, we help the church identify that group and then put somebody who's got life experience and in history, leading a smaller group of people to say, Hey, here's the process. And in that process, you're going to understand things like what, what is your gifting? What are, what are your spiritual gifts? What is a, uh, we're going to help you try to define uh, a personal ministry plan. Where are the areas where you feel called and led to, to step into leadership, I use the L word, sorry, step in to be activated as a, as a servant leader in your, in your church. How do you begin to not just put that down on a sheet of paper? How do you define and think about what your purpose statement is? Hmm. What does that look like? You know, so many men will go, well, gosh, I can't be on purpose at work. So I guess that means I quit my job and I join full-time ministry. No, understand your purpose and let that be the lens by which you view the, the field that God's put you in for, for work. And so if we can help navigate those conversations, then what happens on the back end of that is you do have core groups of men and women who are fully alive. That John 10.10 fully alive life is not sitting in a row on a Sunday morning. It is as Shalom said, going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus in your communities at the homeless shelters or sitting around the baseball field or the volleyball court and having those conversations. And so we just want to be a part of helping churches understand what that looks like. Friends, you have done an absolutely fantastic job of painting a picture, uh, not just of what the scripture tells us is possible, but um, what Jesus has already demonstrated uh, to be done. He took fishermen he took uh former prostitutes uh people struggling to find intimacy struggling to find influence in all the wrong places and help them see a new way to participate in the ultimate reconstruction work and everybody's invited everybody's invited and you have helped us illustrate that today i'm very very grateful this is a loaded loaded conversation that we didn't even begin to touch. There are so many structural things that make this a least likely. There's so many models. Uh, I think it was uh, Shalom that was starting to refer to one. I just want to mention this one before signing off. Uh, if you've got a room set up to where 300 face one <laughs> and one that faces 300, it's going to be hard to see this as an all skate in the influence realm. And that's just one. You start to mess with that room. If you put that room in a circle, I think Shalom, you were referencing this. What if we kind of gather together instead of a follow me kind of thing, you just start changing the room around in your facility. You're looking for, you're looking for difficulty, not because people aren't well-meaning. It's just simply because that's not how we do it. So there's an awful lot of challenges here. So I appreciate you guys helping paint the vision for what this can be so that we can go from this being a least likely to a most likely. That would be cool. Thank you for your participation in this uh, series as a whole. Thank you for your participation today. 
And uh, we are grateful that you're friends of Disciples Made. Take care, and we'll hopefully see you on a future podcast episode. As you can tell from the conversation, this is going to be a continual process for the church. But wow, you could tell from that conversation that if we do make the shift, significant things will happen. Let's push that trend into existence. Here's how Disciples Made is prioritizing that shift. All of our experiences are outcome focused. They're focused on those outcomes of character and calling, which actually do grow people up to not needing us and making them interdependent missionaries with us, not dependent for that mission. All of our experiences are limited duration. We don't set anything up to potentially go on forever and ever and ever. We're setting people up to commit a certain period of time to accomplish certain objectives, and that objective is to empower them and equip them for the mission that Jesus has for them. We also have a clear disciple-making funnel in order to universally share the vision that people are to be empowered and sent, not simply perpetually gathered and taught. We're also choosing to provide disciple-makers from all walks of life a full tool belt of disciple-making experiences, many of which will be free. Finally, we're embedding leadership identification and multiplication tools in all of our experiences for more effective scalability. Disciples Made is prioritizing this shift as much as the rest, and we're excited to be a part of that journey. That said, I'm looking forward to debriefing what we learned today and sharing the results of that with you. See you next time.